0: Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, if you're using the black Bibles that are provided, that can be found on page 944. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Normally we preach through a, a book of the Bible, and um, but for the last couple of months we've been doing a topical series focusing on our identity in Christ. And this will actually be our, this Sunday will be our last sermon in that series. And next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll pick back up our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're ready uh, for the final section of Matthew, dealing with the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we've studied um, this topic of our identity in Christ We've seen that our identity should be rooted in our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity should not come from our jobs or from our families or from our, our personalities or our giftings. Our identity should be rooted in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... What we've seen from God's word is we've rejoiced in the different aspects of that identity and all those different aspects flow out of our union with Christ. When God saves us by his Holy Spirit, he, uh, through faith, unites us to Christ. And so our, uh, that's why as Christians are often described in Christ or, or with Christ, And so that is at the very heart of our identity, and because of that union, there's many truths that, again, flow out of that, and that's what we've been studying together these last couple of months. We've seen that because God has united us to Christ through faith, we are declared righteous in God's sight because of the finished work of Christ. We've seen that we are adopted sons of God who've been saved to enjoy God and be with Him forever. We've seen that we are new creations who are set free from bondage to sin and have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We've seen that we are saints set apart from sin and set apart for service to God to bring him glory. We've seen that we are citizens of heaven, no longer belonging to this fallen world And as we've gone through that, we've seen that all those identities, all those aspects of our identity, have moral implications, don't they? We've said many times, we're called to be who we are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ, Scripture admonishes us. But as you think about that, what should we do when we fall short of consistently living out who we are in Christ? Yes, in Christ we are new creations, but we have to admit we often give in to our old ways of sin. And yes, in Christ we are saints, but sometimes we fail to live set apart for the Lord. In Christ we are citizens of heaven, praise God, but we find ourselves too often still attached to the things of this world. In Christ we stand perfectly righteous before God. But in our daily lives, we still see much remaining sin. And so there's this tension that exists in us between what we already are through our identity in Christ and what we see ourselves to be in daily practice. And so we have to admit that we still sin daily in thought, in word, in deed, and in motive. And that reality, that that tension that exists, or that, that reality of that gap that exists... Between who we are in Christ and our practice can lead us into a couple of ditches as we think about that reality. One ditch would be we become so despairing that we distance ourselves from the Lord. Or I think the the opposite ditch would be something like, well, we just minimize sin and, and... you know, make it seem like it's no big deal and and whenever we start to feel bad about that, we just kind of look in in ourselves and try to find something in, within ourselves to feel good about. Both of those ditches are are wrong and will hinder our growth in Christ by taking our eyes off of pursuing Christ and his kingdom and so we want to try to see what the Bible would admonish us to do today and and what we see is that if we are to grow in, in living out who we are in Christ, what we must do is preach the gospel to ourselves every day. A phrase I'm sure you've heard many times. Um, I heard it first from Jerry Bridges. If we are to make progress in realizing who we are in Christ, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That means admitting that we still struggle with sin, but rejoicing in God's love and grace to us in Christ. And so the title of the sermon today is, I am forever loved by God and dependent on his grace. I am forever loved by God and dependent on his grace. Don't you love short, catchy titles? I know that's a very long title. It's not going to be on one of our coffee mugs or something, right? But I like that title because it, it really has the two main points that I want us to focus on today. And so we'll consider those one at a time. First, I am forever loved by God. That is a truth that, that I hope you leave here just rejoicing in. And, and I hope it's just kind of like the, the heartbeat of, of your life. I am f- in Christ. I am forever loved by God. The Bible teaches that before the foundation of the world, God set his love on us, choosing us for salvation, determining one day to adopt us as sons, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. And then, later, at at just the right time, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And then, at God's appointed time, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. I love that because of the great love with which he loved us. You see, every aspect of our salvation just highlights God's love and his grace. God loves us by his grace. And I'll talk more about grace later, but by that I mean it's God loves us by his unmerited favor. In other words, we don't deserve his love. There was nothing in us that was lovable. We don't deserve his love. We cannot earn his love. God does not love us for what we can do for him. God loves us. Why? Because he chose to love us. He chose to love us to the praise of his glorious grace, Ephesians 1 says. He chose to love us for His glory, to highlight how how gracious and merciful He is. And here's an important thing we need to understand. As, As Christians, God's love for us does not fluctuate. Again, it's based on His grace, not on our performance. God's love for us does not fluctuate. He does not love us more when we are obeying Him, and His love for us does not wane when we sin. He loves us perfectly and consistently because of Christ. And here's where we get back to our union with Christ. When God saves us, the Spirit unites us to Christ through faith. And through that union, we are swept into the perfect love that exists within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. In John 17, 23, when Jesus is praying right before he goes, right before he's arrested, and then the next day he goes to the cross, Jesus prayed for us who would believe in his name. John 17, verse 23, quote, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them even as you loved me. There it is. Wow. We are swept into the love that the Father has for the Son. It's a perfect love. Again, he loves us perfectly in Christ. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God's love is never changing God will always love us. God will never stop loving us. And the end of Romans 8 celebrates this truth. In fact, the entire chapter of Romans 8 is about the eternal security of the believer. The chapter begins with, in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beautiful verse. We are no longer guilty because our sins have been paid for by Christ. God loves us. He has forgiven us. He has indwelt every believer with the Holy Spirit. And chapter 8 continues to to develop that truth. It goes on to explain that the indwelling spirit empowers our perseverance in the faith. And, And the indwelling spirit testifies with our spirit that God loves us and has adopted us into his family. And the indwelling spirit guarantees our future resurrection and glorification. And so... As if you were to study Romans 8, it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, that the emphasis throughout Romans 8 is that our salvation is secure. Why? Because it is entirely God's work. Our salvation is entirely God's work. God, verse 29 of Romans 8, predestined us, called us into union with Christ. He justified us in His heavenly courtroom, and He will one day glorify us at Christ's return. You look at those different aspects that verse 29 lays out, and you see from eternity past to eternity future, every aspect of our salvation is God's work. There's nothing that can, and so because it's God's work, there's nothing that we would do as Christians that can alter or undo God's love for us or God's plan of salvation for us. And so that was kind of a quick, super quick synopsis of chapter 8, and that brings us then to verse 31, our text this morning. And really, I'm, our main text I, is the last two verses, but I decided to begin just in 31, again, kind of cover it quickly. But look at Romans 8, 31 with me. It's like Paul's come, bringing us to a, a conclusion here. What then, verse 31, shall we say to these things? <laughs> If God is for us, who can be against us? Again, we're looking at this through that, under that heading of, I am forever, in Christ, I am forever loved by God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It, it, it's a fairly logical argument, isn't it? By sending his son, God has already, he already gave what is most precious to him. Therefore, he's not going to withhold any of his love or his grace or or anything else that we need for godliness in, in the Christian life. He won't withhold his love from us. He's already given us his son, his most precious demonstration of love. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God has already justified us. Remember, that means he's declared us righteous in his courtroom. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. He's credited Christ's perfect righteousness to us. The case has been settled. God, the final judge, has already ruled, declaring us righteous. So yes, what charge against us could possibly stick? Who is left to condemn when the highest judge has already declared us righteous? There's no one else to appeal to, right? His word is final. God loves us. He's forgiven us. And nothing's going to change that. Verse 35 then. encounter all kinds of calamities and trials but what he's saying is no trial no temptation no evil threat can separate us from God's love we are saved by the love of God and his love will not let us go then in verses 38 and 39 Paul gives a final summary statement celebrating the fact that nothing can separate us from God's love Again, in Christ, I am forever loved by God. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In these final two verses, Paul gives... The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives five contrasting pairs. Really, they're kind of like contrasting extremities. And he does that as, as an exhaustive way of showing that nothing can take away God's love from us. First, n- neither death nor life, he says. <laughs> can separate us from the love of God. Death does not separate us from the love of God. Death merely ushers us into the presence of God where actually we'll we'll witness the glory of the love of God like never before. (laughs) As we're welcomed into his glorious presence. Life can't separate us from the love of God. Yes, our lives in this fallen world are marred by sin and suffering In other words, sins we commit, but also then hardships just from the fact of living in a fallen world. Yes, our lives here in this present time are, are marred by that. But again, no trial, no hardship, not even our own sin and folly can separate us from the love of God. Second pair then. Neither... What does say? Nor angels, nor rulers, and then at the end of 38, nor powers. The ESV lists powers at the end of 38, but it probably should be connected there to rulers because in the Bible, rulers or powers is a, is a common expression to refer to demons. So again, you kind of got the two extremes here. He's saying neither angels nor demons can separate us from the love of God, Right? Angels are powerful creatures, but of course we wouldn't really think of angels trying to separate us from the love of God. They're, they're the servants of God. They're, they're longing to look into these things and try to understand the, what is it like to, to have God's love and grace lavished on you. But demons, we, yeah, we could see that, them trying to do that, couldn't we? Demons are powerful creatures as well, but they're evil. But they cannot affect God's love. That's the point of the verse. Satan is a fallen angel. Satan, you know, we could call him the head demon or whatever, right? But even Satan himself, with all his minions, cannot separate us from the love of God. Yes, Satan has all these evil schemes, and he, he, tries, he tempts us and tries to trip us up and do all this and that, but he cannot snatch us out of the Father's hand. He cannot separate us from the love of God. Third contrasting pair nor things present, nor things to come. Again, we look at what are we dealing with right now? What, what, what struggles and burdens have you come here today with? We deal with those things, don't we? We deal with present struggles and burdens and temptations, discouragement or doubt or heartaches or suffering. And I know many of you are dealing with those things, and I do too at times. And what can happen is when we're in the midst of those things, they can kind of obscure or cloud our our vision of God's love. In other words, they can kind of start to cause us to doubt, like, does God still love us? But really, it's it's just they're getting in the way of us seeing God's love. They're not separating us from God's love. From God's point of view, from his perspective, his feelings toward us do not change at all. His steadfast love endures forever. His, he's, his covenantal love is sure and unchanging and unshakable. By his grace, he's chosen to enter into that covenant with us through the finished work of his son, and, and nothing's going to change that. So even as we deal with struggles, may we not doubt God's love. Matter of fact, we know that he's sovereignly, Romans eight twenty eight, a few verses earlier, right? Working all those things together for our good. Even the hard stuff, even the suffering, has God's loving hand behind it because he's purifying our faith. He's getting rid of our idols. He's causing us to look to him and embrace him more fully, which is what our souls truly need. So nor thing, things present can't separate us from god 's love, nor things to come and man, you talk about struggles or fears don't we don't we worry about what 's to come what 's to come with our country what 's to come with our family what 's to come in my life, and as things change or whatever what what trials are we going to face right and, and and that those are Bad things to be thinking, by the way, right? That's, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble. God will give you grace to handle the troubles for today. Tomorrow, he'll give you grace to handle the troubles for tomorrow, right? But in our, sometimes we're tempted to do that, aren't we? But we don't need to worry about whatever comes our way. Yes, the future may have increased persecution, Yes, our future, our immediate future, may have intense suffering, but none of that is going to affect God's love for us. His love will still be there, strong as ever, sustaining us, growing us, drawing us close to Him. And again, when we think about things to come, our our minds, like we talked about last week, go to our ultimate future the return of Christ. We don't know what the immediate future holds, but we know what our ultimate future holds, don't we? Resurrection, glorification, being with with our Lord in the new heavens and new earth. Where we'll be just basking in his love and grace for all eternity. Fourth pair here. Nor height nor depth. I think that's a poetic way of just talking about, again, contrasting extremes here. From the the highest mountaintop experience that we have to the lowest of lows, nothing, again, isolates us or changes God's love. Nothing isolates us from God's love. Nothing changes God's love for us. Even in the depths of the grave, even the the depths of suffering leading to the depths of the grave, that's not going to separate God's love from us. Like I said earlier, when death causes us to realize more fully the result of God's love for us. The last one, then, I like. I like this last statement. Right, just in case I missed anything, Paul says, "Nor anything else in all creation." Right? Kind of a catch-all statement to end this. If, if anything else? Any, you know, I've tried to cover these different extremes, but, but just take it to the bank. Anything else in all creation, none of that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And again, I emphasize this point because I think it's what we need to hear. Not even our own folly or sin separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because our sins are forgiven in Christ's righteousness. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. So this is the gospel reality. This is the gospel truth. This is the glorious reality of our identity that we must always remember, loved ones, and celebrate. I am forever loved by God in Christ I am forever loved by God even when I make foolish choices even when I've been neglecting my relationship with him, even when I stumble into that same sin that I've repented of thousands of times, I am forever loved by God praise God now in me saying all that I'm not at all minimizing sin, please understand our choices matter, right? The Bible calls us to pursue holiness. Our choices affect how pleasing we are to God. They affect how much glory we bring to God, and that's, those things are important. But what I'm trying to emphasize is our choices do not affect how much we are loved by God because we're loved perfectly in Christ. Our sin will bring God's loving discipline, but our sin does not alter how much God loves us as his children in Christ. And so, again, we're talking about what do we do with this when, as, as we see the reality of our struggle with sin? Well, because I'm confident of God's love, when I sin, I should draw near to God in repentance and faith. And then I should humbly accept his discipline and, and seek by his grace to learn from it. But that's where Satan, the accuser, tries to uh, kind of hijack that. When when we sin, what we tend to do is is think, "Oh no! Now God's mad at me. Now God's not going to bless me. Now God," and and we stay away from God. And that's the exact opposite of what we should do. We should run to God, our loving Heavenly Father, in, in, in humble repentance, in, in humble dependence, saying, God, I need you. I need Christ. I need your love. I need your forgiveness again. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that believers will comprehend the enormity of God's love. Why? Why would he pray that? Well, many reasons, but because being in awe of God's love is what will draw us to him and will change us to become more like Christ. Right? The more we can understand how much God loves us, And and again, this is maybe counterintuitive to to some of us. We might think, oh well, you know, if we just as Christians, if we just talk about how much God loves us, that's gonna just create a license to sin. No. It does it 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 won't by God's grace. Right? Romans 6, should we uh, should should sin increase the grace may abound? By no means. And he points to who we are. We've died to sin. Comprehending the love of God is going to actually have us be in awe of God and, and draw near to God and behold him and, and be preaching the gospel to ourselves. And as we were just talking about in Sunday school, it's the gospel then that changes us as Christians, that grows us to become more like Christ. We become what we behold, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so the more... <laughs> We are captivated by God in all his attributes, and especially those we see in the gospel. The more he's going to be sanctifying us, the more we'll enjoy our relationship with him, which will bring him glory. So for any who are here today who are without Christ, you're not a Christian, you're an unbeliever. I I urge you to consider the love of God this morning. Consider the love of God. He sent his only son to suffer and die in order to save sinners like you and me. He poured out his holy wrath on his sinless son so that he could forgive all who turn to him in repentance and faith. By his spirit, God gives new life and faith, enabling people like us who were dead in our trespasses and sins to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. Do you see the magnitude of His love? Though we committed cosmic treason against Him, He forgives all our sins when we trust in the name of Jesus. Our sins are are placed upon Christ in the sense that He's already paid for them on the cross and again His perfection is, is credited to us. God then, in his great love, adopts us into his family, becoming our faithful and loving heavenly father. God, in his, again, in his grace and his love, comes then to live inside of us by his spirit, daily reminding us of his love and empowering us to live for him. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. He sovereignly loves and cares for his own all their days until... At his appointed time, he brings us home to live with him forever in paradise. Behold the amazing love of God. Consider that love. Look at that love. You can search all the world, but you will never find anything as beautiful, as lasting, or as vital as the saving love of God through Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is that everyone here would know that love. May you know the love of God through Jesus Christ. May you be drawn by his love to, by faith, embrace Christ as Savior and Lord so you can experience his love forever and ever and ever. And then Christian, remember God loves us by his grace. And as I relate to God, as you relate to God as a believer, and seek to grow in godliness, we must continue to rely on his grace to us in Christ. And that's our second heading today, and I'll be quicker with this second one. So, don't worry. We saw first that I am for, in Christ I am forever loved by God. Also in Christ I am forever dependent upon God's grace. Again, as we're kind of wrapping this whole series up and trying to think about how do we live as a Christian in light of who I am, the already but the not yet as I'm dealing with my sin, what, what truths do I need to remember, what should be first and foremost in my thinking? Well, one, that I'm forever loved by God, but then here's another one that needs to be right up there. I am continually dependent upon God's grace. The Christian life is to be lived by grace. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We began the Christian life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is how we are to continue to live the Christian life. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We entered the kingdom of God by grace, and we advance in the kingdom of God by grace. God gave us new life in Christ by grace, and now we are to grow to become more like Christ by God's grace. The Christian life is to be lived by grace. Okay, so what is grace? What do we mean when we say that? Well, Jerry Bridges points out that the Bible uses the word grace in two distinct but related ways. Number one, God's unmerited favor to us through Christ Jesus, right? The Bible also uses grace in a second way, God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit, so we've got God's unmerited favor to us through Christ and God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit. Again, they're related, but there, there is a distinction there. So you see that we are saved by God's grace, His unmerited favor. And then once we are saved, we continue to rely on His grace, meaning His divine enablement to us through the Holy Spirit. His divine strength to us to live the life He's called us to live. In other words, we're not saved by God's grace alone and then we say, hey, thanks God, I'll take it from here, right? No, we don't do that. We can't do that. We continue to depend on God's grace throughout our Christian lives. Jesus said in John fifteen five that apart from me you can do nothing. We need the life of Christ lived in us by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. And again, clearly the Bible commands us to put forth effort, right? To pursue growth in the Christian life. I mean, we could look at a myriad of of, of verses. We're, we're called to put off the old self and put on the new, Ephesians four twenty two. We're to put to death the deeds of the body, Romans eight thirteen. We're to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against our souls, First Peter two eleven. We're to make every effort to grow in Christian character, Second Peter one five and seven. So we are to work out our salvation, but it is God who works in us, Philippians two says. We need God's grace to do those things, to do the commands that are given to us. We need God's grace to empower our efforts and we need God's grace to transform us from the inside out. We need the grace of God working in our lives to do what God calls us to do. We need God's grace to serve and to flee temptations and to discipline ourselves for godliness, to resist the devil, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We need God's grace to sanctify us. And that's what he does. God, by his grace, remember, by his divine enablement, works in us through the Holy Spirit in order to sanctify us. Again, it's his grace changing us from the inside out. To make us more like Christ. So that we start to love others something like Christ loved them. So that we humbly die to self. So that we can boldly speak the gospel. So that we forgive those who hurt us. So that we trust God while enduring suffering. So that we stand strong in a hostile wor- world. How are we going to do that? By God's grace. Second Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. No matter how long we've been a Christian, we continue to need God's grace every day. Like Paul Tripp says, we never become a grace graduate. Right? We could add to that, like, we never become a gospel graduate, right? Like we just say, okay, well, I've got that all taken care of, I'll move on to something else. no. We continue to need God's grace. We continue to need God's, the, the gospel being preached to us. No matter if things are going well in our Christian life or if we're floundering, we still desperately need God's grace. Here's, here's a powerful quote from Jerry Bridges. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. No matter good, good day or bad day, we need God's grace, right? And the good news is, loved ones, God is not stingy with his grace. He loves to pour out his grace on his humble, dependent children. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Wow, what a powerful verse that is. What a great promise that is. Everything God is calling you to do, he will provide the grace to enable you to do it. Let us then daily draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 Let us never try to do things in our own strength, but instead seek and rely on God's grace to work in us, to grow us, to become more like Christ. But again, we must never think that God's approval and acceptance of us is earned by our progress god is glorified as we seek to please him but his acceptance of us his love for us is entire is based entirely on the finished work of christ his love for us does not fluctuate based on how much we are growing so to conclude all this then christian as you follow christ you are to grow in holiness by God's enabling grace. As Christians, we were still going to struggle with sin. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? As Christians, we're going to still struggle with sin, but we have the confidence that God loves us and has forgiven us of all of our sins. And so, loved one, Christian, may you go forth today in peace, knowing that you are forever loved by God. And may you go forth in dependence, relying on the grace that God lavishes on you in Christ. Let's pray. Father, what, what can we even say? We just stand in awe of your love and your grace. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of your finished work that has secured these blessings for us. And Spirit, we, we stand in awe of you as well for applying the work of Christ to us. For, for living inside us. For for enabling us to to live the the life that we're called to live. Father, we praise you. We praise you for your love. We praise you for your grace. Help us to go forth confident in, in your love and dependent on your grace that we may grow to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, to the glory of his name. Amen. Let's stand, please. And we'll sing another song of praise.